Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Lord Mayor, Keith Topolsky. Hi, my name is Stephanie Mansueto. Hi, I'm Natalie. Hi, I'm Leah. Hi, I'm Jess. Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, my name is Lisa Marie. Hi, I'm Kristen Nogarato. Hi, my name is Bronte. When the West Tigers dance squad. And this is our jungle. Yes, a very different way to introduce Splinters on this Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and on triplehfm.com.au. Yes, I am back for one night only, the Lord Mayor with you on this Tuesday night if you're listening live or you could be listening via podcasts.com or tune in, Spotify, iTunes for as long as iTunes still exists according to what Apple's doing at the moment. Could be a frosty Friday in Forbes or a sunny Sunday in Saskatoon, wherever you're listening across the world. And we're talking dance squad this week on Splinters. Now, this originally started as the concept of a day in the life of a cheerleader because the idea was that, well, cheerleaders don't necessarily get the coverage that most others do, but then I sat down with the people that I now used to work with at West Tigers and said, yes, we're going to talk cheerleaders. And they said, we don't have cheerleaders anymore. We have dance squads now. At which point I basically said, what the... And I had to ring somebody up and say, well, what is the dance squad all about? So to explain what the difference between cheerleaders and dance squads are, amongst other things, I thought I'd get the coordinator of the West Tigers dance squad with me. So good evening to Kira Howarth. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. Now, Kira, just a little bit about your background, because, and I know Rick Dunlop's going to absolutely go nuts about this, but you were a cheerleader slash dancer in rugby league previously, weren't you? I was. I used to. Um, dance for the Parramatta Eels um, but originally I was a figure skater ice skater. A figure skater? Yes. So how did that transition come about from ice skating into as it was then cheerleading? Well I grew up, both my parents taught um, figure skating mm-hmm. and I just asked them to drag me along because I loved it so much and one of the things that um, we I was included in was to um, learn dance, different dance genres, starting off with ballet, um, and that was part of the training to become an elite figure skater. And that's how I fell into dance. Now, you've also got some experience outside the NRL and ice skating, and you've been involved with the Sydney Kings for quite some time. Is that similar a similar dance squad situation in the NBL with the Kings? Um, we do very, obviously very similar. We do carry um, the performers over from the basketball t- into the NRL so a lot of the teams are the same um, but the sport obviously is very different and certainly game day for us um, within the NBL it's very fast we uh, never know when we're actually going to be performing because they can call timeouts at the drop of a hat so it's, uh, it's very fast paced rather than the structure of the NRL where we sort of know when we're, we're performing whether it's pre-game, half-time. Um, so from 
organisation point of view, it is sort of you fly by the seat of your pants when you are um, dancing for an NBL mm-hmm. team. Um, but yeah, very different as well in that the spectators are a lot closer um, than, than the NRL uh, spectators. Um, so, you know, you, you do feed off the energy of the crowd a bit more with the basketball, I found, just because you're in a much closer environment. And that was something that I discussed with one of the members of the West Tigers cheer, sorry, dance squad. I'll get that right, dance squad. Uh, Bronte, who you might have heard in the intro saying that this is our jungle. I'll let you in on a secret. We're recording this about 10 minutes after full time of the West Tigers Canberra Raiders game at Bankwest Stadium. So I don't know whether it was our jungle too much tonight. Oh, we but don't want to mention it. No, we, that's all we'll talk about. But Bronte had a couple of things to say about the likeness or the contrast, in fact, between the NBL and the NRL. Yeah, I think with the NRL, it's... Uh at first, I found it quite intimidating, but it was—it's quite wonderful. You get out there in the fresh air, um, freshly cut green grass, and you have the audience cheering you on. It's amazing. It, it brings butterflies to your stomach. I can't describe the feeling. It's quite incredible. Whereas, yeah, the basketball is quite similar. However, um, you're indoors. People are a lot more close and personal. I don't know something about the NRL. It just—it uh, really uplifts your spirit and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> The contrast, because Bronte mentioned that the NRL situation, because it's outside, it has a very different atmosphere and it's a very different context to what it is in the basketball with the Sydney Kings. And that brings me to something that a lot of the dance squad members raised, and that was the role of dancers or cheerleaders in the NRL. And we know that South Sydney have done away with theirs. They have a drumming um, team, if you like, now. Canterbury have moved towards more ambassadors. West Tigers have got a dance squad. I think Cronulla still have traditional cheerleaders as they refer to them. So what what do you see as the role of dancers or cheerleaders in the NRL? Because South Sydney, they've taken the approach that they're outdated and it's a bit of a throwback. What what do you see as the role of dancers in the NRL at the moment? I see us as an overall package really. Um, Everything that you've just mentioned. So we we're there to entertain, show our athleticism on game days, get behind our team, help support them, lead the crowd into supporting their team. But also, I, we have involvement in various charities and community partners. Um, so we're getting out there into the community and you know, being role models, um, lending hand to help raise money for various charities. Um, so there definitely is the ambassador side of of it as well that is very important I feel that you know we're given a very you know wonderful opportunity to represent these you know amazing organizations and um, that's just part of the responsibility that we take on and it's not just entertaining um, on, a, on a game day it's chatting to the fans before game before the kickoff um, and just, yeah, again, being an ambassador for the, the team and the club. And that was something that Jess, one of the dance squad members, mentioned when I sat down with her on the Monday night before the West Tigers-Canberra game, as we mentioned, at Bank West. There's um, a, definitely a role model aspect for anyone who's involved in sort of professional sport. We're not playing, but we're still at the games. We're still in a uniform. We still have a code of conduct that we 
um, sign off on in the beginning of the season and we follow that the whole way through and there's certain expectations of us from the club and from our own coaching and choreography staff so we have to follow the same rules and we do media appearances and um, we're out with kids doing clinics and things like that supporting the players at signings and things like that and then if we're doing the wrong thing well then you know, the kids will follow suit. And it wasn't just Jess who raised that because Leah, the head choreographer of the dance squad, also had a few things to say about the role of cheerleaders or dance squad members in the NRL. I'd like to see it stay as, you know, dance teams and the professional side of things. Like, I like the whole idea of the ambassador thing, but I don't... It's a bit sad that we're taking jobs away from dancers. Like, Rabbitohs, you know, got rid of theirs completely, and I think that's sad. You know, I'd like to see more opportunities for dancers. And there were plenty of other members of the dance squad that had things to say on that idea of role models and the place of cheerleading or dancers in the NRL. And it was something that really did pop its head up quite a lot because the role that a lot of the a lot of the ladies play these days, Kira, is much more diversified than what it was in the old days. It's not about just turning up in an outfit and maybe putting on a couple of moves. It really is something that, as Jess mentioned, they have their own code of conduct and their role models and something that was really mentioned as well there was the fact that they are seen as role models by a lot of young girls and boys now. Absolutely. I mean, you just look at tonight, um, we had a dance back and we had 300 kids cheerleading um, on the on the field. So you know, those girls look up to the senior performers. Um, I think, you know, it's great that they get involved in a, a team um, sport, I could call it. Um, they, they're learning to get out there and be active. Um, yeah, and getting out there and there's, there's not a lot of opportunities for us to be out performing and as a professional. Um, so the fact that we get to come out, you know, week after week at games and, and it's what we do for our job, it's a, it's a real yeah. honour. And Lisa Marie, another member, had a few things to say about the idea of the dance squad as a team. Well, it's still a sport. Dancing is also a sport, so there's always, like, teamwork. So we do rehearsals, and in rehearsals we work as a team to make the dance as one. And it wasn't just Lisa Marie who wanted to talk about the notion of the dance squad as a bit of a team as well, because Jess also touched upon that and even mentioned that it wasn't that different to an NRL team in that different dancers brought different uh, positives and options to a dance team similar to NRL players in different positions. Yeah, I would say so. There's definitely... um in more recent years, the, the all-rounders are able to come through. You know, before there's, there was a lot of um, technical abilities or a certain look that was that people were after to be in a cheer squad. And now the same technical um, need is there, but you can be a hip-hop dancer and not have the same, you know, fantastic ballet technique that someone would have once had that would make them an asset to a squad or their ability to do flips or tricks. Um, you can bring a lot of different things into one squad and still be just as effective. So everyone has their strengths. We definitely have... Um, some girls and some of the boys who have that 
overly athletic ability. They can do flips and tricks and throw each other around. And then there's some of us that don't have those abilities of always being trained as a dancer. Um, but when there's a big dance break, well, we're the ones that get to come to the front and we get to shine through. So everyone has their different abilities and it makes one team all those different abilities. Yeah. What I found interesting about what Jess had to say was that different dancers bring different aspects. And she spoke about some dancers being able to do the acrobatic flips and other dancers having different muscle movements and that can create different moves and it really does operate as a team that brings a lot of different elements together there. Well, it's nice that you mentioned that because that was one of my goals um, a couple of years ago and, and we did start this within the NBL for the Sydney Kings and it was to bring um, the best talent available in their specific dance genre and combine them together. So I have a, a bison who is a, a break dancer who can spin on his head and do the most phenomenal acrobatics to um, you know classically trained ballet dancer and we combine all of the you know the best qualities in those performers and we all come together as a group which gives us so much more diversity in our performances. Mm. Natalie also had a couple of things and Natalie was absolutely fantastic value in her interview. She had a couple of things to say about the notion of the dance squad as a team as well. Back in the days it was more about the look it wasn't I feel like now it's more supporting the team where you have the guys and you've got the girls and they're all kind of just um, upping everyone's energy in the crowd to support their team. Kind of like what they do, do in, um, I guess, America. More of your, I guess, cheer squad in that way. We don't really make any chance and stuff, but we do get more involved with the crowd, whereas back in the days it was kind of just your look and that was it. There, there were a couple of things that are really interesting that Natalie didn't touch upon but we got to a little bit later on as well because Lisa Marie touched on a couple of things that really did come about as a benefit because most of the girls and even Chris the male dancer that I spoke to spoke about hip hop and jazz and a little bit of ballet but Lisa Marie touched on the Brazilian dancing that she did and the versatility that it brought her in in terms of what she was able to contribute as a dancer on the squad. I do Brazilian dancing, so I'm part of a samba team. So I do a bit of that. And then I do some ballet classes, jazz classes. It's definitely more cultural and it's just like different way of moving the body. It's more like isolations and it's more movement on the spot and it's definitely energetic as well. It's definitely different. So you have to like train, we do training for it and it's completely different to the training that we do for cheerleading and it leaves your muscles sore because it's good for your fitness. Like Brazilian dancing is very, it's not hard, but when you're dancing for a long time, for like a three minute dance, you're constantly moving like your feet and your hips. So it definitely helps your fitness when we're doing dances for the cheerleading squad. What Lisa Marie said there about the Brazilian dancing being outside the box, if you like, from the typical or even traditional side of things with the jazz and the hip hop and even the contemporary fusion that is being taught by a few of the squad members at the moment. It really does allow, as we mentioned just a couple of moments ago, the opportunity for dancers to contribute as a team such as a winger or a halfback or a prop to really play a different role. Absolutely. And um, again, like they bring their, their best qualities into the team and I think that's what makes our group such a strong performance squad. Um, 
100%. And the, what, what I found interesting in terms of the versatility there that is really offered up by the different sorts of dancers and the dance styles, as Bronte talked about with the dance styles. So I've been dancing since the age of three. I've done ballet um, up until I was about 12 and started contemporary jazz and hip hop and everything. So uh, that was quite interesting to get down different avenues and cheerleading sort of expresses more than just uh, cheering and yelling out to the crowd. It kind of involves a lot of strength and technique, a lot of teamwork and um, yeah, just being patient and cooperative with each other. I think, yeah, we've really become close as a squad and I've created new friendships with others. So that's another aspect of it that I could really get into. But yeah, I've danced with some amazing people this year and I continue to meet more people throughout the NRL sort of atmosphere. So I love it. And she talks about the different dance styles, but something that was really important coming out of those dance styles was something that Jess touched on because something that I didn't even think about, but it is common sense when you do think about it, is how teachers can use dance as physical therapy. Yes, so those those kids I feel definitely need, um, you can see the happiness that dance and music brings to their life and to be able to bring that out and they can show their parents I've learned this dance routine and you know it, it, you don't have to be in a, a mainstream dance class or a competitive dance team to be able to achieve those things so and that notion Kira that Jess speaks about about dance being used as physical therapy for young children and um, I suppose people who have suffered injuries or maybe even birth defects that really does op- offer um, people the opportunity to live a more fulfilling life a more active life than what they might otherwise do because you can get some versatility there with leg movements and just moving the body and that creates a, a sense of independence if you like. Yeah I think um, we, we spent a few years running a little dance school um, for the Sydney Kings and just to get in there and teach young kids and, and some of them were from four years of age upwards but just to teach them basic rhythm, movement, working together as a team um, all working towards learning a performance that they could get to perform in front of their family and friends at a game was pretty incredible and very rewarding. Um, but yeah, 100%, it, it, it is therapy because, um, you know, even with some of our squad members, you know, we get getting to rehearsals, it's late, people are tired, but I guarantee you, after we have our rehearsal, we have big smiles and it's almost a release for, for some of the teams. So I think on all levels, um, it can yeah definitely be very therapeutic. And that therapeutic thing that you speak of and people getting there and being a little bit tired and run down and not being really able to keep up with everything that's going on with the squad. Stephanie spoke about the way that the dance squad behaves in a professional manner and they really do up the level of professionalism to make sure that they can create the the spectacle that you see on the weekends at the games. I think the more like, just like NRL, the more you get to know the players, the more respected they become. And so I think the same thing is in the case with cheerleaders. The, you know, we're, we've all got uh, separate jobs to cheerleading. Like it is something extra that we do and we are smart people and we are kind people. And I think if people got to know that a little bit more, that 
they would we would be more respected. I think they just think of us as one as just cheerleaders. There's um, very little jobs for dancers in Australia, so cheerleading is one of them. And if it was a full time thing, it definitely opened up more jobs for us and for the wider community of dancers. And Lisa Marie had something very similar to say about that as well. I think there's a bit of both. It's definitely professional, but there's definitely a fun and friendly side to it. That's, I think, why a lot of people also join the Tiger squad because everyone's really friendly. And that growing professionalism and positions in a team and the dancers really operating as a team, as you say, that's something that you said you wanted to bring in and that growing sense of professionalism, they, they really do look like a professional dance crew out there, even though the professionalism, it's not the same as NRL professionalism with full-time, but certainly there would be the opportunity there to go full-time if, I suppose, there was a more open-minded view of dancers, as was mentioned. I think, yeah, absolutely open-mindedness, but if there was just more work available, more sponsors could come on board um, to run clinics and things like that, I mean, that would be giving them more opportunities. Um, But on the professional side of things, we, you know, we have very high expectations of what our um, talent, you know, how they represent themselves, how they um, present themselves, um, because it's not just themselves they're representing, they're representing a, you know, a known, well-known brand and, and a club, and um, they absolutely have to treat it with respect. And those, those dancers who are members of the squad, and even Leah, the choreographer, they all have different inspirations, and I thought I'd find out what their inspirations were, and I started with Bronte. Uh, I love how you can contribute to a part of a team. I'm a great team player. I'm very passionate about dance. I've been dancing since the age of three. So I've always I've always loved dance and I've always wanted to be a part of something so amazing like this. And then I had a chat with the only member of the male dance squad that I got to chat to on the day uh, in Chris. Well, I mean, I've been dancing for a few years now and I kind of just was looking for work to gain experience um, and the opportunity came up. I thought it'd be good exposure, get my name out there a bit and also kind of push for NRL teams to go from mainly cheerleaders being girls and that kind of thing to having a bit more of a male involvement. And after I chatted with Chris, I asked Jess what her inspiration was. I've been dancing since I was a little kid and I had a friend um, that I used to do competitions with and she asked me to come and try out with her, so I did and I've been doing it for many years now, since then. And then we'll just move along to the other members of the squad. We start with Natalie. I've been dancing my whole life since I was at the age of four so it's kind of just grown with me um, I love performing I love dancing with the girls and especially the guys this year um, I just love performing in front of people and entertaining people it's just a passion that I have as well as Emily I have danced since a young age I have traveled the world doing dancing on cruise ships and coming home there's not much here in Sydney and Leah, our amazing choreographer, um, is a good friend of mine and she always spoke so highly of the Tiger Squad um, and this is my first year doing it and I've had a great time. As well as Lisa Marie. Uh, I used to dance when I was younger and I used to see the cheerleaders on TV and I thought I want to be a part of them. I want to be one of them. And Stephanie. I've been dancing since I was like three or four and it's always been a passion of mine to be become a cheerleader or try cheerleading and 
once I started, I couldn't stop. <laughs> and it wouldn't have been fair to ask all the dancers of their inspiration without asking the choreographer, Leah, about how she got into dancing as well. I've been a dancer all my life, so being part of doing something bigger for a bigger um, audience just was very appealing. Like, dancing in front of a crowd that big is awesome. And the different inspirations there to get involved in dancing or cheerleading as it was, quite a few of them said that they saw the old school cheerleaders on television and certainly the stigma that surrounded the old school cheerleading is something I want to talk about probably in the second half of Splinters, but the diversity of inspiration to actually get involved in dancing is something that really does go quite across the spectrum, just as the different ethnicities and the different backgrounds and different inspirations as well, whether that's sport or friends or just getting out of the house or wanting to be seen on TV just like everybody that they saw on TV. So I guess my inspiration was always back to Michael Jackson's dances. My, <laughs> and the, there's quite a few of my dances would that would say Would that be Thriller or... Because that, that seems to be the one that stands out thriller when people talk about Thriller was 100%. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the dancers in the team have said the same thing, um, as, long as, as well as uh, Beyonce um, mm -hmm. and, and having those support... Um, dancer roles with such a big star. Another one was Madonna. I always loved her backup dancers. Um, and again, like she's had such diverse performers over the years and she always reinvents herself and um, you know I guess that's something that we've tried to replicate with our own team and um, we have a, a huge range of, um, of ethnicities and backgrounds. I've had lawyers, um, full-time teachers, um, dentists, doctors, um, all just because of their love of dance. They, you know, obviously they have their full-time jobs and everything, but it's, mm. it, again, it's going back to that's their release and they have this passion to get out there and perform for, you know, for themselves, but also in, in a, an arena to thousands of people. And the the diversity of inspirations, and it really is a diverse mix of music that you mentioned there as well, because you could say the King of Pop with Michael Jackson and then Beyonce really, I suppose you could say, sort of broached the divide between pop and hip-hop and created an, an almost an R&B genre of her own. And is that something that is common with the fusion or contemporary style of dance that a lot of the girls and Chris uh, who um, I spoke about with the dancing as well is that something that you try and do as well is to use contemporary as sort of creating a fusion there? Yeah 100% um, you know as I, I mentioned before we, we've got people from all different genres and um, I've had girls heavily trained classically in ballet who had never done any hip hop in their life and then they come into the squad they meet someone like Christian who that's his background and his passion and all of a sudden they're learning this whole new dance genre and um, incorporating that into their repertoire. And having Christian in the squad as the male dancer or as one of the male dancers was really an interesting subject 
subject, and we want to get to that in the second half of Splinters, but it has been a long night for us on the night that we're recording this. It's been a rough night, as you will no doubt remember, and yeah, not a great way for me to head off and leave the West Tigers, but on the se- in the second half of Splinters, I should say, not on, but in the second half of Splinters, plenty more to get through, certainly using the field markings of stadiums, the technical side of things, the way to bring a new demographic through, certainly dealing with the stigma, and then that aspect of having male dancers in dance squads these days, which has traditionally been seen as a female realm. So we'll get to that and plenty more coming up next on Splinters. It's time to hit the ice. This weekend, your Sydney Bears are back home at the Macquarie Ice Rink for a doubleheader of hockey action in the Australian Ice Hockey League with the Perth Thunder coming to town on Saturday the 22nd of June and the CBR Brave arriving for Pride Round on Sunday, June 23 because hockey is for everyone. Gates open at 4.30 with puck drop at 5pm. Tickets start at just $25 for adults and $12 for kids with children under 5 free. Save time and book online at bearsden.com.au or pay at the gate. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM and on triplehfm.com.au. You might also be downloading us at podcasts.com, tune in Spotify or iTunes for as long as it still exists before they go to Apple Podcasts. And we certainly hope to stay with Apple Podcasts, provided they don't start charging like wounded bulls. The Lord Mayor with you on this Tuesday evening if you're listening to us live on Triple H. And we're talking dance squads and what used to be known as cheerleaders. And we've got Kira Howarth who is the dance squad coordinator for the West Tigers and owner, I understand, of Sassy Models. Is that right? Yes, entertainment company. So we carry out a lot of different um, arms in the entertainment promotions world. And we're talking about dance squads or what were cheerleaders in the NRL and certainly part of the things or part of the drama that I spoke to the members of the dance squad about who you would have heard in the first half of the show was the way in which they also use stadium markings and field markings as part of their routine and before the ladies went out there tonight I was speaking with them about the fact that on this particular night at Bankwest Stadium the field was completely bare of the typical NRL logo. Now as referees Tony and I always swore by the fact that every time the 10 metre lines were marked. It was a godsend for us because we knew exactly where we needed to stand to mark our 10 metres. And Kira, dancers and the old school cheerleaders, to a lesser extent, but certainly the modern dancers, are really no different, but it's more often the logos that are used because the positioning of dancers is very particular to what is needed in terms of the performance. Absolutely. I mean, we want a nice symmetrical positioning on the field um, and in a perfect world we would get to rehearse on the field mm-hmm. um, but that's not the case we um, are often rehearsing in studios um, which are a lot smaller <laughs> in space than uh, you, you know your field so um, yeah we have to really adjust when we come out here and we actually do a, a sort of a sideline mark through unless we, we're obviously given a, uh, a rehearsal time prior to any gates opening but um, yeah we have to say right you stand here I'll be on the 10 I'll be on this point I'll be on this NRL logo and um, that's that's basically how we work out our positioning. Mm. And 
it's not just the NRL logo that is really something that impacts on the way the team performs because I was speaking with Natalie about the idea of the big stadiums versus the small stadiums and how the volume can sometimes impact and whether you can actually focus on one particular person in the crowd or whether it just lifts you up and I spoke to Natalie about that difference between something like an ANZ stadium and something a little bit smaller like a Leichhardt or a Campbelltown. I mean both I love both I guess the bigger stadiums it's just having that atmosphere where you're performing in front of in front of a lot of people whereas your smaller ones like um, our home games at Leichhardt or something like that it's very intimate so it, it does it is I guess better in a way because you can see people that you're performing to whereas if you're at a bigger stadium you can't see anybody but I mean they're both different I like both of them to be honest and Kira we were speaking before the podcast off air about your preference for stadiums and Natalie she played the diplomat very well. She said that she found both of them appealing, although ANZ Stadium with 8,000 people there, I don't know how you can possibly find any atmosphere with 8,000 people there. It needs to be at least three quarters full. But what, what's your preference, not necessarily as just a dancer, but also as the coordinator of the squad? Do you find that the smaller venues are much better or do you find that ANZ, in terms of just for the performance, is a much better option in terms of being able to concentrate on the performance? I think the smaller venues I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you just, it just has a different energy. I mean, we've we've danced when we, we ran the Parramatta Cheer Squad for many years and um, back in the 2009 finals and, and we were, you know, there, the semi-final against the Bulldogs, there was 83,000 people there mm. and it was phenomenal. Um, but I find that we get the same sort of vibe from that semi-final and grand final from the smaller stadiums like Campbelltown and Leichhardt. So it's very similar to the players in that, yeah, ANZ Stadium is the big event venue and when it's packed, it's great. But if you've got a crowd of 16,000, it's much better to go to the small venue and have that atmosphere lift you up rather than have the atmosphere get lost. And even though you might be able to concentrate better on the dancing, it loses some of that energy. And I think as well, um, ANZ as an example, is it is a lot further away once you get to those grandstands, whereas mm. traditionally with your Campbelltown and Leichhardt, and I, I suppose the same with Brookvale Oval and, and other similar venues, mm. Belmore Oval, it's so much closer. So you, you do feed off the atmosphere because people are sitting closer. Mm. And I know with the basketball, like they are right there courtside and you can't help but look at some, you know, catch people and, and engage as you're performing. And mm. that's, that's a good feeling for a, a professional dancer. That engagement with the audience and not necessarily just when you're dancing, but also when they're away, the dancers are away from the field and walking around the sidelines and talking to young people who are watching in the crowd. And something that really did pop up that was really interesting, that was something that completely took me from left field was when Emily sat down and talked to me about how you can actually use props to recruit younger people to really take a following to the uh, dance squad. Whenever I have been doing the promo things out the front of the the fields, uh, the pom-poms are such a big for the, for the younger kids, they just all they want to do is hold the pom poms, and I offer that. I say, oh, "You want to hold a pom pom?" 
woman. Like, oh, oh my gosh, like that's just the coolest thing. So it absolutely is a, it draws the eye for the younger kids and wanting to have a turn with the pom-poms. But I think that slowly but surely over the next few years, they'll start to see that it's, I would like for them to see that it's not just about the standing there and looking pretty and shaking the pom-poms. It's actually a lot more work. There's, it's, becoming more about the choreography. And Emily spoke about the fact that you don't introduce the pom-poms until very much later in the piece. And it's all about the dancing in the first instance, but those pom-poms, when you do go and speak to the little five and six and seven-year-olds, and all they want to do is hold the pom-pom, as was mentioned. And is that something that is still an element there because that was a traditional thing that you don't want to do away with, even though it is moving towards a dance squad? Because out there tonight, the pom-poms were still there in a way. Yeah, we, I mean, we still use, they're very effective. Um, that's one of the main reasons why we do use them. Um, we don't have a huge number of performers out on the field. I mean, as an example, tonight we saw over 300 kids with pom-poms out there with our senior squad members and it looked fantastic. Um, but if, if we've only got 14 dancers out there on that big field, um, the pom-poms actually help fill the space a bit mm-hmm. and give it a bit more colour because the crowd are so far away. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we do some performances without them and um, I guess it just depends on what we're trying to achieve and, you know, the choreography. Sometimes choreography, if it's too technical, um, it is at times difficult to use the pom-poms. And something else that is being spoken about in terms of a way to recruit new people into dancing is the way that the clothing has changed from the very revealing outfits in the past and the knee-high boots into joggers and leggings. And that was something that Natalie spoke about in terms of being able to use clothing to recruit a different demographic to what might have happened in the past. I guess with these days, the hip-hop is a big thing. Um, it's very popular. A lot of people want to do that style so I think knowing that the times have changed and they can see us dance and perform the way we do in those outfits it does definitely inspire a lot of um, I guess people to want to audition want to get more involved because they don't have to feel uncomfortable wearing what they did um, years ago when we pretty much wore nothing. (laughs) And Stephanie also spoke about being able to appeal to that younger audience by moving away from what might have happened in the past. I remember going to an oral gaze and watching um, the cheerleaders and wanting to do it. So I think the more we do it and um, the more it makes kids want to do it and... You know, I've walked around the side of the field and some girls have come up to me and like, you know, I'm a dancer and I dance here and I do this and I do ballet and I do jazz and like, so there is like a, 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 like a, they see us and they want to do it and I think that most parents will see us and when they actually speak to us they understand that we're more than just cheerleaders, if that makes sense. But something else that Stephanie really touched upon, and this is something that is sometimes difficult to broach because we are talking about the old school cheerleading at the same time, is the way that cheerleaders have been seen in a sexual overtone in the past. Coming from a dancer, I knew what cheerleading was about. Like, I understood how much work was put into it and I didn't understand the stigma that was placed behind them because... I got it and I understood so like it's hard for me to 
I can't answer this question because I didn't understand the stigma and that, you know, it was a little bit, I don't know if I can say this, sexualized and, but it was tasteful. It wasn't like derogatory. I think the, the, the way the world, like with things, like different dance shows and like showcasing different um, genres and opening up the world to different genres and seeing how um, like hip hop can be a little bit more sensual or, or sexual, um, that it makes it easier for us to be able to perform like on that rugby league and not be classified as that because people have a better understanding of it. And that's something that, Kira, is really important to get away from, particularly in this new... I don't like to use the terminology of the Me Too era, but that, that seems to be the way things are going these days, is particularly moving so rapidly away from old-school values is the way in which women across society were really viewed almost as objects for male pleasure for a large part in the past. And now the reality is that that's not the case anymore and women and men are as equal as each other, although, yeah, okay, in some industries there's still a glass ceiling and even I will admit that. But certainly trying to move away from that old school line of thinking is something that is going to bring in a new demographic to dancing. Well, I've always wanted our team to you know be covered <laughs> I, I honestly don't think there's anything attractive about seeing a young 18 year old dancer in next to nothing freezing on a football field um, you know I don't think that's an attractive or very good look you know for the sport or for the club um, it's family friendly is just our biggest what we want to achieve is we want the, the mums and dads to feel comfortable to bring their children along to come and watch um, the game and you know we're part of that game day experience mm. and we want everyone to feel comfortable um, so yeah definitely choosing the right apparel um, something that's they, the dancers can move in um, but something that looks good something that ties in with the team brand something that the girls and the guys are comfortable wearing mm. um, I think is really important there's nothing worse when us girls have these you know fat days and we've got to put on these tiny little outfits I want them to feel comfortable and proud of what they're wearing and what they're representing well it's not just women who have fat days I have fat days too <laughs> and those are days that end in DAY but moving on from that there is still the stigma that follows dancers around from the old school philosophy of cheerleading and I do want to hear I did want to hear I should say from as many members of the dance squad as possible about that so we'll start with Bronte about what she thought or thinks I should say about the stigma that can follow cheerleaders around sometimes or dancers as they are now yeah I guess um in some ways it can have negative connotations um towards yeah just towards the people that uh, take this up as a profession I think yeah in today's society it's very professional it's it's uh very strong energetic and requires uh it requires a lot of patience requires a lot of hours team effort and Jess also had some interesting things to say. I think so, not necessarily for the abilities that people have. I mean, I think it's always seen as um, you're still special, you get to do cheerleading and you're doing it for a professional team. Um, however, um, the stereotype previously was 
the you know not so intelligent um, very beautiful but nothing going on upstairs so trying to bust the myth that we're not all you know dumb blondes I suppose is the stereotype that we we all have other jobs we all we all teach kids we all work with children we've all, most of us have you know been to university or studied some sort of trade um, and yes the I'm sure back then the girls who were doing it were definitely not dumb blondes but um, that was the stereotype and now there's less of that going around and we didn't finish there Natalie also wanted to weigh in I mean look we do still get referred as cheerleaders and whether or not people realize there is a difference we want to try and make that obvious um choreography is a big part of it i mean with our choreographer leah she has definitely changed a lot of our routines and a lot of the stuff we do from what we did back in the days as well um so we've had to keep up with the times and keep up with the music and all that to make it a bit more obvious for other people as well um our costumes as well from your typical cheerleader costume back in the days where it was just like your two pieces or your little dresses um and your high boots to now wearing full leggings t-shirt joggers like it's definitely changed and certainly some of the things that have been mentioned in terms of the stigma we mentioned the sexualization and just touched upon that old school philosophy of oh they're pretty girls out on the football field therefore they mustn't have much going on up top but you own your own business you're a dancer with Parramatta in a past life there's plenty of teachers here as you say you've had lawyers in the squad as well so it really is a case of moving away from that and understanding that the dancers have outside lives as well as was mentioned in other interviews and that it's not just dancing and looking pretty because it's about an artistic expression at the same time yeah absolutely and um you know it's difficult to make what these girls and guys do look as easy as they do um the whole stigma behind it yeah you in the past we have had comments and um, but uh, to be honest that's becoming less and less these days Mm -hmm. Um, people are really and then the the fans and supporters are definitely treating us as part of the team it's previously that you know I'd found with the stigma as you know you're a bit of a dumb cheerleader Um, but I think in with our squad in particular we've been working hard to sort of build profiles and um, spend more time out there with supporters and engaging and Mm. people get to to know who we are and see what we represent and I I think that whole stigma is slowly disappearing and I I think with bringing the boys into the team it's just brought a whole new dynamic Uh, it's a really great environment to be in and um, and all of the performers are, are loving it as well so um, I think the stigma may still exist, but I've definitely noticed a shift. I'm going to give you nine and a half out of ten for that segue because that's exactly where I want to go next, <laughs> is the introduction of male dancers into the dance squad. And Chris gave some really interesting answers, and I wanted to start with asking him about the sort of stuff that he might hear from the crowd because, at the end of the day, dancing has traditionally been the female thing, and what he gets from the crowd as a male dancer there's always going to be people that are going to kind of talk but it's just part of it 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 comes with any sport Mm -hmm. that uh you know introduces change that kind of thing yeah yeah 
Not too much, to be honest. As I said, this day and age, it's more accepted. So, and a lot of people kind of really appreciate male dancers and that kind of thing for the athleticism of what we can do. And as we mentioned, the stigma being removed allows for a bit more open-mindedness and having that sledging there, it's probably still going to be there because it, it's since you can't disappear thousands of years of sociological conditioning overnight because it was always men were aggressive and testosterone-laden and ladies were supposed to just know their place, which isn't the case these days but it's going to take a long time to move away from that sort of stigma particularly around such a masculine macho game as rugby league isn't it yeah absolutely but I, I, I am not aware of any comments to the boys to be honest and we've honestly had nothing but support and from what I've seen yeah it's, it's quite humbling something that really did grab my attention and few of the ladies and Chris himself also wanted to touch on this is the advent of women's rugby league as it can impact on dancing. So we've got men playing rugby league and it's a very masculine sport as we mentioned and therefore you've got the in the old days you had the ladies there to sort of distract at half time and with the advent of women's rugby league well why don't we just flip everything completely around <laughs> 180 degrees. Okay you had men's rugby league with female dance squads what's to stop an all male dance squad appearing at some of the women's games Nothing. because Rep Weekend it. is not that far away and Women's Origin at Bear Park, why don't we get an all-male dance squad oh, out I there? love it. Oh, we would love to do something like that. I think it would be an amazing opportunity. Do you think, and this is where things can get a little bit murky, and the women's game has this issue as well, and that's why the WNRL hasn't expanded yet. Do you think you'd be likely to get numbers for men who would go and dance in those squads simply because not only are they moving into female-dominated dance squads, but now they're completely throwing the traditional gender roles in a rugby league game on their head? Would that be too confronting, or do you think that would be something that would really appeal and draw in people who really did want to break the mould. I, you know, I can't speak for the supporters from a dancer's perspective. Um, I think, again, like going back to there just not been enough opportunities to get paid to be a professional dancer and have those chances to get out there and perform in front of thousands of people. Absolutely, there's a ton of talent that would love that opportunity to to be in a, a, an all-male team um, if it was for the W um, NRL mm -hmm. game I, yeah I would love to see something like that um, but you know I'm involved in this sport and involved in you know the, the dance dances now for 20 odd years so whether other people would accept that and support it um, I'd like to hope so and maybe maybe in time it might happen. As I said I did speak with a few of the girls and with Chris himself about the idea of male cheerleaders in the WNRL and we'll start by hearing what Chris had to say about that. I don't see why I can't I mean that's, that's all I can answer really, I don't see why I can't at all so if they want to introduce it by all means go ahead. And probably the best of the other responses because we are a little bit short on time here on Splinters probably came from Emily and I want to hear, and I want you to hear I should say what she had to say about it. I have never thought of it like that, but I think 100%. Um, I think it will take a while for um, the, the general public and the people that come to watch the games. It's still going to be take some time to wrap their heads around 
male dancers and I think that's just how it's going to be it's going it's still going to take so much time um it already has evolved so much with male dancers being a part of so many more shows and gigs and things around the place um but I 100% think that um utilizing male dancers at women's rugby league games would be an awesome start for them but she didn't just stop at WNRL and what she had to say about the growth of male dancers I found particularly interesting. Part of our Tigers squad this year bringing in um, boys is like the first time and that's definitely sparked a lot of interest um, and I can only speak for the program that I work for in the primary schools but we do make it such a nurturing fun environment um, that I hope that after they leave primary school that they do continue to think about wanting to dance and not get it letting, you know, the high school and the, the older kids um, change their minds on how, how much fun they had dancing. And the growth of male dancers, Kira, is something that is really impacting on dance as a sport, not just in terms of dance squads in the NRL and with um, professional sport, but dance as a sport itself is really starting to grow because of getting on the back of this idea of, okay, dance is no longer just ballroom dancing. There are different genres, and those genres getting promoted more widely is creating an opportunity for more people to get involved. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a lot of male dancers in particular that this is their hobby. They will go and catch up with, they'll catch up with their mates. It's keeping them off the streets. They, you know, learning choreography together, filming it, um, entering into battles. Um, so you can start from just a simple hobby into them. You know, going in, like Christian, for example, goes in competitions and, you know, they're competing for prize money and representing their state and their country. Um, so, yeah, it's something that can start off as a hobby, can turn into a full time profession. And that competition side of things, that psychological side of things, Bronte had something to say about using dance and the educational psychology behind dance. I, it's really interests me uh, studying education as well. You, you learn a lot about uh, educational psychology, how people work as well, uh, which I found very interesting and very intriguing. Um, yeah, and I also aspire to sort of travel the world with dance and educate people through primary education around the world. So that's another uh, aspect of my life and profession I'd like to get into, yeah. <laughs> and I would love to be able to get into the idea of using psychology in dance, but we're getting the wind up here at Bankwest Stadium, so we're going to have to disappear and we're going to have to cut splinters short, but we have reached our limit for time on splinters this week, and Kira, I've got to say when I started this idea of having the podcast of a day in the life of a cheerleader, because you don't hear from them that often, and just the way things have just evolved on the back of the podcast it's just been absolutely fascinating to really have the reality of life in dance squads laid bare before me oh thanks for having us and um, giving us the opportunity to put across our point of view um, as, as you said like no one would really know unless you sit down and have a chat with us and we come from all walks of life and um, 
yeah, we're just excited to continue what we're doing and, and, and grow and diversity and and hopefully give you lots of many wonderful performances to come and um, hopefully get a few wins for the Tigers. That would be a nice start <laughs> after what we just sat through, but you're hearing this a couple of weeks on, on Splinters. That's all we do have time for. Next week, we are hoping to finalise our series on the Manly North's A-grade competition's demise. We're hoping to get the Greek god himself, Terry Liberopoulos, in to talk about that, and that is what we're hoping to bring to you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from Splinters. Splinters.